0: It's, it's never boring. I will say that. It just comes at you fast, but you learn so much every day. I mean, I can't imagine having one of the more traditional, I'll call them calcified positions at a firm or a company where you're just doing the same thing every day. I, I So I love what I do.
1: Welcome to Pricing Matters, a podcast by Digitree Legal. Digitree is a data analytics and cost management platform and service, bringing data-driven pricing and cost prediction to law. My name is Aurelia Spivey, and I will be your host as we speak to leaders who are making an impact in legal pricing, discuss market trends, and find out from them why pricing matters. Good morning, our guest today is Toby Brown. He's the Chief Practice Management Officer at Perkins Coie. Uh, Toby, thanks for joining us.
0: Very nice to be here.
1: So Toby, you know, I think it's always helpful for our listeners to hear a little bit about your background and you know, how you found your way to legal pricing. So let's take some time now and tell us a little bit about your journey.
0: I'm happy to do that. And you have to set the way back machine to, I think, I want to say 11 years ago, maybe 12, (laughs) somewhere in that range. Um, I was head of knowledge management at what was then Fulbright and Jaworski. And I was giving a presentation to leadership it was This would have been probably 11 years ago because it was around the time of the Lehman collapse, so 2008, mid-2008. Um, <clears throat> but I was giving a presentation to leadership, and this was a Tuesday morning, about how knowledge management was going to become mission critical because of alternative fee arrangements, as it was called back then. <laughs> And I put up a quote from the general counsel of ConocoPhillips, and it basically said, "If you're thinking about asking for a rate increase, don't bother. And if you've already asked for one, we changed our mind." <laughs> so, uh, so at the end of that meeting presentation, the two partners ran up to me and said, what do you know about alternative fee arrangements? And I said, well, I've studied them for years. I'd written articles on them and stuff like that. And I said, here's here's the basic thinking on them. And they said, can you come with us on Friday morning to meet with a client? I said, sure. So what that resulted in was I you know was thrown in front of a client, negotiated, it was a holdback success fee, which ended up working out well, we won the success fee. And after that this black hole formed because I word got out that I could help around alternative fee arrangements. I formalized an alternative fee arrangement. Um, program at Fulbright. We, uh, there were four partners on the committee. Um, you know, I had to figure it out from scratch, figure out profitability and all these other things. So just build it up from there. And I moved firms a few times, ended up getting a chief role and my role expanded. So I uh, oversee much more than pricing today, but it, that's still at the core of what I focus on.
1: That's a great story, and I think it's helpful for people to hear. Do you think there are still opportunities at law firms to be that proactive as you were at that time?
0: Um, so there's absolutely opportunities within many firms, you know, especially if you move down market into the AmLaw 200 and to mid-sized firms. Every, every firm needs this. So if your firm doesn't have it, you know, raise your hand. So absolutely, I think there's opportunity.
1: Fantastic. And I want to get a little bit more into that later about you know, the pricing skill set. But what I wanted to talk about first was you know, at clock this year, uh, Justin Ergler, who's at GSK, and he's the director of Alternative Fee Intelligence and Analytics. I mean, he was there and he gave a real big shout out to the P3 conference, which um, I know is coming up next year. And there's just been a call for uh, contributions. But his, you know, he said that it was a really important conference for clients to attend. So, you know, I know that you've been involved with that conference and I'd, I'd like to get your perspective on, you know, what you think the client side could learn from Attending that conference,
0: well, absolutely. And and I, I now owe Justin a beer or a bourbon. Um, <laughs> Justin's a good friend. Um, and truth truth in advertising, I'm actually the founder of P3, so I'm I'm not unbiased. Um, however, that being said, in fact, we talk about this. We the I'll call it sort of the P3 community. We maintain relationships with the clock community but a core message amongst all of that is we should really be working together. Um, so clients coming to P3 and then, you know, participating in P3, a lot of times, like I met with a client last Friday, went on site with them. They, they tend to say, you know, why aren't law firms doing X, Y, and Z? And one of the pieces of advice I usually give them is to say, ask your law firms if they have a pricing person. And if they say yes. Say you would like the pricing person involved in the dialogue between you and the firm because the pricing person is there to make sure everybody wins. And so for a client, you know, participating in P3 will give you a much deeper view into what law firms are doing and how law firms can be better partners for you.
1: Fantastic. I I agree. Um I wanted to talk as well about the industry as a whole. And you know, I read the 2019 peer monitor survey. And you know, that was very positive about the growing elevation of pricing roles at law firms. And I'd love to hear from you, you know, some some practical ways that you've seen the pricing function make an impact on the business of law.
0: And this will sound, I don't know if it will sound odd. I guess it depends on, you know, the portion of the audience listening. Probably the biggest impact pricing functions have on law firms is shifting the, the transparency and awareness around profitability. You know, I talked about when I... When I first became a pricing uh, director years ago at Fulbright, I remember digging deep on the profitability thing. You know, once I dug down the layers, I'm like, oh, this makes sense to me. And it's really not that complicated. But I started talking with partners about it and they're like, oh, I didn't know that. You know, the first one I thought, oh, you know, because it was a younger partner. I thought, oh, you know, that was just him. And by the third and fourth partner, I was like, wait a minute. These people don't understand what makes their business profitable and so typically pricing people take on this profitability evangelizing role (laughs) because when when someone comes to a pricing when a partner lawyer comes to a pricing person for help on a matter or a client or whatever type of engagement it's yeah we want to win the work but we want to win the work in a profitable way and Historically, the, the metric for law firms and partners has been what's the realization, and that is that is a factor in profitability. But there are other factors. Some even, you know, like leverage far more powerful in terms of profitability. So the partners just always took realization as a proxy for profitability. So the pricing role was like, no, you need to, you need to take a little deeper look at this. And so in terms of big impact that that's in my experience or every pricing person I've talked to or dealt with, they they end up playing a central role around that.
1: And I think leading on from that, um, my next question is around the lawyer engagement piece. So, What I'd love to hear from you is, you know, how you've got lawyers engaged with pricing, um, perhaps at different firms or perhaps you have a methodology that you've taken with you, Um, because I think that's something that can still be a challenge for some teams.
0: Um, It's kind of funny you mention that nowadays. So we... We have a robust pricing team here at Perkins Cooey. That being said, and and we've only recently, I'll say, fully fleshed it out. But even now, they're they're slammed. And before when, before we'd gotten the staffing up to where it is now, my pricing director was basically telling me to keep my mouth shut, because every time I would go to an office and talk to partners about pricing, all of a sudden the the request to pricing would spike. And so, you know, initially I would say, you know, if you sort of dial back the maturity model, um, one thing most pricing people have found is that there is, I'll kind of call it a natural evolution The people who need you and are willing to leverage you are the ones that reach out to you. I mean, even, you know, 11 plus years ago at Fulbright, as soon as people found out about me, I didn't have to advertise. They were just like, oh, this guy can help you. This guy can talk to clients. Please call him. (laughs) And so it, it, it really wasn't that hard. A lot of, you know, because I've done this at a few firms, they're like, oh, you need to get out and, you know, this this needs to be a service for everyone, all the partners. And my reaction is, well, not all of the partners are willing or able to leverage this tool. And so having a busy pricing team spend their time trying to get partners who aren't going to use this service engaged is not the best use of their time.
1: One thing I'd like to sort of dig in a little bit deeper is in terms of the characteristics of the partners, the lawyers that you that really understand it and you know are able to leverage it, because you you know as we as you said, there are some that perhaps just aren't able to use that service or to, at this time. So, what yeah. are the characteristics do you think that may, that make um, people more amenable to pricing?
0: Well, typically, it's the rainmakers that come to you. Um, so it's those who basically are on that side of the business, get it, understand it and realize because you, you know, you've read the surveys, more and more clients are saying, we want to hear about alternative fees. We want to know what you can do, how you can do it. You know, what sort of resources do you have around it? So the rainmakers at a firm they're listening and hearing clients say that. And so they're coming back saying, OK, I, I absolutely have to go to the pricing people and get them involved. Um, so typically it's that kind of lawyer. It's not your service partner or you know I'll say like a litigator who's being fed work by you know business lawyers um it it's those that are very much on the you know I'll call it sales side of the firm
1: yeah sort of out there speaking with the clients
0: oh yeah
1: so so i'm we're going to go with we've we've got you've got people engaged um and what I'd like to talk a bit more about is the process in terms of, you know, once you've got them engaged and talk about scoping and, you know, what role that plays in uh, your pricing and, you know, how you get busy people who okay, we're hearing they're engaged, but they're still busy to sort of pause and, you know, work with your team on, on the scoping aspect of, of the pricing.
0: But I would say this is a very, very big issue. And um, borrowing a phrase from my boss, it's a muscle that lawyers don't know they have, nor do they know how to use it. And and when you press them, because I've done this over and over and over again, they'll push back and they say, well, you're the expert on this. You should know how to do this. Um, And I'm and, you know, the pushback from the pricing person is, okay, we, we have expertise in pricing and profitability. <clears throat> you have expertise in m and work or patent litigation or, you know, regulatory, whatever it is. You actually know what the scope is. So then then once you get them to that point, they'll flip around and then they'll say, well, there are hundreds of things that will <laughs> impact. you know." And, I, and what I usually do is the way I walk them through the process is I say, OK, let's start with what do you think the number is? And I'll use 100 grand to make to keep the math easy. And they'll say, well, hundred grand. And then I say, well, let's just start with the big things. What are the big things that will change scope? And when I walk them through that, I, I rarely get to 10 of those before I say, I, before I basically am able to say, look, I think you've identified all the big things. Yes, there's little things like a, you know, a deposition might get rescheduled or something like that, but that's not really going to move this needle that much. And they agree. So it, it it's basically... You know, they already know the scope, but they've never walked through a process of laying it out. Um, And even to this day, even in a mature model, that is a significant challenge with a partner to get them to to think about that and say, oh, here. And in this case, you know, and I will tell you what the two biggest factors always are. It's opposing party and opposing council. (laughs)
1: <laughs> um,
0: and it doesn't matter if it's litigation or regulatory or transactional. Um, if, Like, for instance, in transactional, if you have an unsophisticated party on the other side of a deal, mm. an M&A deal, they're going to ask a lot more questions than a sophisticated party would. Um, so there's those are two big ones. And so when, once you tease those out, you have them. The, the sort of corollary and follow-on to this is even, I'll say, more challenging. And I would say not a lot of firms' models have matured to this level is, what do you do when scoping changes? <clears throat> and and what the the story I use, and it's kind of funny, I, I, I'll say, <clears throat> in fact, I did this with the, that client on Friday. <clears throat> I said, um, how many of you know who Chip and Joanna Gaines are? And all, all the women in the, uh, in the room will always raise their hands and the men will look at me kind of dumbfounded. And I don't know if you know who Chip and Joanna Gaines are. they they have a well-known show on HGTV called Fixer Upper.
1: Yes, and yes. <laughs>
0: they're a really, they're a really cute couple. My wife watches it. I happen to sit in and watch it too. It, I actually enjoy it. I, I, I will admit that and not just <laughs> you know, my masculinity in any way. But when they crack open a wall and there's asbestos, they don't, just go, oh, and they keep, you know, keep working. And then later on, tell the client, oh, we found asbestos. They're like, everybody stop, you know, put your hammers down. We got to call the client. That is, again, not a muscle lawyers are used to. So when scope changes, they might say, oh, you know, there was some more discovery. And then in three months when the bill hits the client, the client goes, what, what's going on? They'll say, well, back in in November, we told you that you know, there was more discovery, but they didn't actually sit down and say, OK, this changing the scope it will have an impact on the price, all of those sorts of things. So not only scoping, but monitoring changes in scope. Those are big, big things that lawyers are just starting to figure
1: out. Mm. And how do you, uh, you know, if you identify that um, alongside them and you're brought into the conversation, how do you coach them to address it sooner? Because I, we've all heard that story of three months later, <laughs> the bill comes to the client. Yeah, how do you preempt that with your lawyers?
0: Well, I'll give you two sides, kind of the pricing side, or I'll call it the profitability side and then the, the, the legal project management side. Legal project management is an emerging and fast-growing role, and at many firms, including ours, it's either adjacent or tied to pricing. Because the pricing people work it out up front, when scope changes, the pricing people are not in the room. So for at Perkins, for major engagements, we are now assigning legal project management resources, and they're the ones that go, time out, our scope has changed. So that's, that's an emerging role and basically a resource to help lawyers identify when scope has changed. Now, otherwise, like if you're just pure pricing and you don't have a legal project management role, what ends up happening is that three-month thing happens and then the the partners like oh we need to write down twenty thousand know, dollars I'm using my hundred grand thing yeah a, you know a significant number and we're like what's going on well the client wasn't aware of this or over budget so what what tends to happen then is like then the pricing people because a, a number of pricing people in fact I' we're, on our side we're involved, and my prior firm was very involved in the write-down and write-off process. So we're aware of it and saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, you keep asking to approve these things. that go out of scope, and we do have to do write-downs. You need to change. And so part of that evangelizing about profitability is also putting the partners on notice that they're no longer operating in the dark, that there's a lot more transparency, there's a bright light shining on what they're doing. And so, you know, I hate to say it this way, but it's a fear-based thing. It's like, oh, if I don't stay on top of this, everyone's gonna notice. It used to be everyone would just go, oh, I guess we have to do the write down. But nowadays, everyone's gone, wait a minute, why is this a repeat problem here? So that I'll call it the fear side is another way of solving the problem, but that's after the fact. So you're, you're gonna uh-huh. take some financial hits.
1: What I also wanted to talk about was uh, vague RFPs. Um, mm-hmm. I think RFPs are getting better. I think procurement teams are, you know, h- helping in that process. But I think there are still vague RFPs. How do you how do you deal with that?
0: Um, <laughs> good question, and also one of those things that's evolving. That I always recommend to the lawyers, and I would say they're getting better or more open to this but i say let's go back and ask um and they're like oh well if we ask it will it'll sound like we don't know what we're doing and i'm like no actually the client will appreciate that we have put some thought into this and come back with some thoughtful questions i said so let's go ask the questions um because if the client wants a hard price on something if it's vague basically we're going to give them either a high number Or a vague number, just say, you know, it's $100,000, but, you know, it could be a lot more, it could be a lot less. And I said, they're not really asking for that, so let's go back and ask them. So think about, you know, I was saying partners and lawyers at firms that, you know, scoping is a muscle they've never used. It's the same thing on the client side. Think about it. All the in-house lawyers, they came from large firms. They've never done this. Well, I shouldn't say never. Far and away, most of them have never done this. So, of course, an RFP is going to be vague. It's not going to come out with a clean, crisp, here's the scope of what we're looking for, give us a number. Um, So part of this is an opportunity to engage with the client and help them be better at it and, and do it with them. So I actually see it as opportunity, but too often, you know, a lot of partners will react and just say, well, we just need to give them a number. You know, a lot of firms will just, you know, throw the... You know, I call it throwing the dart in the dark and hoping they even hit the wall that the dartboard's on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, there, there are a lot of big RFPs out there. I'll say that.
1: Yeah, and you know, do you have an example where the the client has welcomed that? I think it'll be helpful for people to hear an example if you have one.
0: Um. Oh yeah. On a, this is on a litigation where it was, um, it was basically to take on all their, sort of be their litigation coordinating council nationally. And they had sent around a spreadsheet showing, this is what we did last year. So give us a number. And so I said, well, we should ask them trends in what they're seeing, you know, each of these categories or gonna call it subtypes of litigation. Do they expect them to be going up or down? And do they expect to see more complex or less complex litigation in the coming year? And and basically the client re- replied with, oh, we hadn't thought about that. That's a great idea. We're going to we're going to share this with all the firms. Um, so it, it actually improved the whole process for the client and made it easier for the firm to bid on the work. And, um,
1: you know, I think that's a great story and, and it's a great just reminder for everyone, and it kind of brings me to my next question that, you know, corporate legal teams, legal ops, procurement teams, you know, you talked about it at the beginning, um, you know, the relationships that you're, you're building with them and, you know, that they're asking and you're, you're asking to speak to people in the pricing team. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, how you engage with clients in the pricing process.
0: Um, I actually see this, at, I call it my highest value function at the firm. In those conversations, what I'm trying to do is get the client to surface their pain, which is to say, you know, in fact, one of my go-to questions is, okay, at the end of this engagement or the end of your fiscal year, what is going to make you look good to your boss or bosses when it comes to the financial side of this? Because um, you would think, oh, I have to save money. Well, yes and no. You know, I gave you an example of a client that needed to have or the clients a lot of times, you know, a no surprise rule. That's that's a pretty big one and generally common, but not always. So Uh you have to pull out from the client. What are their real goals? And then that that instructs the pricing person to say, okay, here are the types of alternative fees, if any, that we should be proposing to this client because it addresses those core issues. It will make them look good. Um, to their boss or to their leadership or whatever form. So that's why I say it's my highest function. The the clients, once they're like, oh, you actually care and you want to know about my pain, they will share it with you. And it's super valuable information.
1: What I'd like to do is um, dig in a little bit deeper without revealing too much information. You know, what are the most common goals that you are seeing? Say your top three goals that you when you start having those conversations.
0: They will say cost savings, but what they really mean is they need to somehow demonstrate to their bosses that they're that they're basically you know good stewards of the legal spend. <laughs> and so what that what happens many times is, and you've probably heard this, to where clients will ask for fixed fees or whatever type of fee arrangement, and then they will revert to a discount. And the, the reason is, if we've talked about it, they don't have all the skills to really scope and do stuff like that. So that's really hard for them. And it's really easy for them to go back to their boss and say, we're getting an X percent discount from our firms. And that demonstrates they're a good steward of the legal spend. Now, th- does it actually make them a good steward of the legal spend? I would argue probably not, but it's a great and easy way for them to go tell a story that sound makes it sound like they are. Um, so that's that whole. It's not really about saving money. It's more about. I well, have to be careful how I say that. Yes, it is about saving money, but it's as much or more about demonstrating that they're saving money. Um, but I'll give you an odd counterexample. And this is from a prior firm about six years ago where I had gone to one of these clients because they were like, okay, we've been commanded to cut, I think it was 10% out of their budget. So I went back and said, look, if we staff, if we use alternative staffing on your M&A deals, we can reduce the cost. And I demonstrated it very clearly with a spreadsheet. We can reduce the cost per transaction by 10%. And they said, no. And I, I said, why? And they said, well, we're, you know, so this goes to maybe the second issue is they they're all also very worried about quality. Think about it. Lawyers are risk averse. So they don't you know, if they went in and said, oh, I saved 10 percent, but we're using lower quality lawyers. They're really hesitant to, to say they will do that. I, I'll say that's changing today. But back then it was like, no, uh-huh. no, 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 no. So you would think, oh, this is clear cost savings demonstrating it. I was like, no, no. In fact, ultimately what that client told me, this guy's name was um, Bob, that he goes, well, what I've come to determine is that rates in the middle of the country are lower than on the coast. I'm like, yeah, that's (laughs) good Could have told you that, like, uh, you know, quite a while ago. He goes, well, that's so we're going to start shifting work to those firms. I mean, there's obviously different sophistication among clients. There are different levels of maturity with their legal departments. But there's a lot of chaos out there. They're trying to figure this out. Um, but it, that takes me back to opportunity where pricing people are a great resource to sort of partner, to, you know, create a partnership between clients and law firms to to address those concerns
1: my next question is sort of drawing on 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 this is around alternative fees and I think I don't want to get into the alternative fees and billable hour you know is it going to go away debate but I think we can focus um, on you know if you're seeing an alternative fees You know, are you seeing them in specific practice areas? Uh, You know, what is your experience of what they are right now? Because they're also evolving and alternative fees is also a wide definition. So feel free to use the terminology that you think would help to answer this question best. Well, this
0: is actually a good question. Again, I want to set the way back machine to the layman collapse. In fact, I still remember very vividly because we were at Fulbright, they had an active patent litigation practice and pretty much watched the price of patent litigation. You know, I'll just say some standardized, you know, scope, I'll call it, Mm. um, go from five million dollars to one point five million dollars in about 18 months. Um. And and I, and everyone's like, oh, where's alternative fees happening? And at the time it was patent litigation. Then it shifted to broad, more broadly to litigation. And then about three or four years ago, all of a sudden it shifted hard to the transactional side and the regulatory side. So nowadays I see alternative fees very broadly, you know, applied to all different types of practices and all kinds of situations. Now, if you know, part of the question is, you know, where do they work? Better or less well. Um, I, I used to have. I came up with this. I have all my little funny sayings, my golden rules, and one I have actually that I developed when I was at Fulbright was. People would ask me pretty much the same question, but they would they they would the way they would ask it is is how can you tell if it's going to be a good alternative fee arrangement, which you know would mean a win win one. And I basically said, oh, that's easy. I have caller ID. Which was to say, in fact, there was a partner at my last firm where he would call me because I have approval authority. He would call me to sort of talk through what he wanted to do to get it approved. And basically, at one point in, in our developing relationship, I just said, look, his, his name's Elliot. I just said, look, Elliot, you have figured this out. I really am not worried about anything you propose, but I love when you call me because we get to, you know, I get to learn what you're doing, and where you are and how you're evolving and stuff like that. So Frankly, it, when he when the phone rang and his you know the caller ID showed it was him, it, it was you know ninety nine point nine percent chance I was going to say yes. Whereas someone else would call me and and I know they don't manage against fees well. They always underbid things, trying to win work. They always overstaff them, or they have really bad leverage. Then it, then it was a far different story. So it's actually more about the people and the relationship. So a partner who gets this a trusting relationship with the client that is going to be a successful alternative fee arrangement i can just tell you you know all the time <laughs> that's a very you know you, you're, you never say always or never but uh I'll, i would say in my experience every time that that formula is there it's success um that can be applied to litigation or transactional or regulatory i mean just to give you I, ideas well let me take one step back there are certain advantages to different types of practices like on an m a deal you have a well-defined deadline you know in terms of setting scope and a price that's gold um, mm-hmm. but, but but in litigation you can set that, you know artificial deadlines you can say look we'll give you a number for the next three or six months because we have a pretty good idea of what the activity is going to be in this case you know and it can easily be a large multi-year case but we can say we have a pretty good idea what's gonna happen in the next three months. We'll give you a fixed monthly fee. Um, so you can create those deadlines otherwise. Um, on another end of the spectrum, this is one of my favorite alternative fees. It's just general advice and counsel. People would say, oh, there's no way because you never know what you're gonna get. And and I this, like I say this is one of my favorites where I will go to a client and say, look, let's define the topics under general advice and counsel. And we we'll say, you know, for argument's sake we come up with four of them and say, okay, you can call us anytime you want with any types of questions that are just general advice and counsel, and it will be a fixed monthly fee of, I'm making this up for math again, $10,000. Every three or six or nine months, whatever we decide, we will sit down and talk about how it's going and the volume of requests, and we will mutually agree to make adjustments to that number. So, those have been very successful alternative fees, and there is Almost no scope there, other than to say it's these four types of law that are included. They, the the lawyers involved and the level of trust and openness in the relationship that will drive success. But I I just see them being applied in almost any any sphere.
1: I think that's a really interesting perspective. Some great examples as well. So I think that'll be really helpful for people to 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 rethink perhaps you know the box that we we've put alternative fees in as well. So I'm going to shift gears now. And, you know, I think given you've been at a number of firms, you've grown in uh, different teams, I'd really like to talk about your pricing teams and some of the skills that are required for, for this role. But first, I, I'd like to talk about, you know, the different, the, there are different sizes of teams. And I think we know the average is around two to three people, um, at, you know, at the majority of firms. So with a team of that size, what do you feel they should be prioritizing to, you know, be as successful as they can be?
0: Well, I have, there's there's a whole bunch of thoughts wrapped up in this answer, so I'll probably bounce around and feel free to bring me back on point. <laughs> um, with with my teams, not just my pricing team, but all my teams, I, I basically say, well, there's, you know, sort of the golden brass ring out there is really client satisfaction. But putting that out as a, you know, necessary um Situation, the next two things that you always should be focused on are revenue and margins. So, whatever you're doing needs to drive those two numbers. Um, And and so, what is in terms of skills and sort of form, you know, and I'll say, depending on how you define the team, you know, if I count myself on our pricing team, I think we have seven. And like I said, we're probably going to have to grow that because of the volume of requests we're getting. But, okay, what sort of skill sets and amongst that group? Well, an obvious one is financial. So if you're more on the junior side of the team, you're really going to be digging in, pulling, you know, working with finance, pulling the numbers, you know, massaging them, putting them together in a way that they're easy to communicate to a partner and eventually a client. Um, Always be thinking about what can we do to improve the, the margins on it? And even what can we do to reduce the number? Um, and maintain the quality and those sorts of things. So there's a, a sort of operational, financial set of skills, um, very, very important. Um, I alluded to, you know, and I'll move this up to sort of, I'll call it the manager and then to the director level. I alluded to the need to be able to communicate this. Um, once you have a role that is more partner facing, you definitely need a skill set of communication. And it's not just being able to communicate you know, being a good communicator, it's being able to take financial concepts and boil them down and communicate them in a very simple, actionable fashion. And actionable is a very important word there. Because you can say, oh, you know, if we do this, we'll have a, you know, a, I'm making this up again, a 20% margin, which obviously is very dependent on your profit methodology. Um, but you say, okay, it's going to be a 20% margin, but, you know, if we do a couple of these changes, it could be a 25% margin. They have to really be able to go in and say, here is the impact of those changes and communicate why. So that that communication skill Basically, making complex simple, I, I think, is a priority skill. Um, at the very, well, I'm going to say at the top, I'll call these as, as, as operational skills, um, but then I'm going to add one more. is Being someone who is, I'll call it an active listener, so that when they... Talk to people. They're not just trying to convey ideas. They're trying to draw out the needs and the the uh, the wants of that person, be it the partner or the client. So it's a skill. It's a you know communication is presenting ideas, but this is a, I'll call it extracting ideas. So that's a big thing, a very big and high value thing. And I put that at the director and at the chief level.
1: You know, we've talked a little bit about this, but I just want to probe and see if there's anything else uh, that you want to add to to this question, which is, you know, what are the greatest challenges facing pricing professionals and how are you overcoming them or how could someone um, in this profession overcome them?
0: I, I would actually guess that most pricing teams at law firms are just overwhelmed and so part of the challenge is getting adequate resources from the firm in order to address this. But it's, it's one of those, in my opinion, very easy sales. because it's like, this is directly tied to revenue and margin. I mean, it's not like we're upgrading our email system. Um, this, you know, the, the expense, you know, the, 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 this is not an expense, this is an absolute investment in your business. What I would suggest if you are in those roles is, you know, take it back to the fact that the people who come to pricing are the rainmakers. Therefore, they are the power people in the firm. So go to those people and say, hey, look, you know, we're we are providing all this value to you and we want to keep doing that, but we're, we're being overwhelmed and we could use some support from you with leadership for, you know, garnering more resources. And trust me, if you've got a a power partner with a big book of business, highly dependent on the pricing team, they're going to stand up because they don't want, they don't want to lose that resource because (laughs) it's being diluted.
1: So (laughs) this has been a super conversation. And what I wanted to do is, is wrap it up with a question. Uh, we're on the Pricing Matters podcast. So I want to know from you, Toby, why does pricing matter to you?
0: Um, that's a great place to end up. Uh, pricing, you know, I kind of told you that when I first got into this, you know, I, I did one pricing deal and this black hole formed and just sucked me into it. It's <laughs> been the best. That was the best thing that ever happened to me in the legal industry. Um, I've been in the legal industry for, i <clears> say, <throat> all of my professional adult life. And, and this one changed everything. And it's not just pricing, but pricing opens up the conversation in new and different ways. Pricing is like the, the catalyst for all of the, or all, maybe all of the change conversations going on at law firms. You now, even AI, it's like, why do we need AI? Well, it's to lower the cost of delivery. Um, all of that starts with the pricing conversation. So that pricing catalyst, you know, call it the tip of the sword. It's like opening up doors for change and new ideas and, you know, ways to better serve clients. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, in some respects I was lucky the way I got into this, but in the other respects was the door opened a little bit and I kicked it hard because I was like, <laughs> this is interesting. And, and I'm going to pursue this. So when people come to me and say, you know, I'm thinking about doing this, I, I say, go kick that door open. I frankly, your firm needs it. It's, it's never boring. I will say that it, it comes at you fast, but you learn so much every day. I mean, I can't imagine having one of the more traditional I'll call them calcified positions that a firm or a company where you're just doing the same thing every day. I, I, so I love what I do.
1: Thank you for listening to Pricing Matters, a podcast by Digitory Legal. To find out more about our guests, please visit our podcast page at digitarylegal forward slash pricing matters. If you have any feedback or any guests that you think we should feature, please reach out to me at Aurelia at digitarylegal.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time.